So Harvey, if you don't know, uh, Harvey and I are leading All Souls Church together uh, here in Burbank, California. And uh, we've known each other a really, really long time. We planted churches uh, around the same time, me in Tempe, Arizona, Harvey up in Reno, Nevada. And uh, we did Leadership Network uh, cohort together and a lot of early, early Acts 29 stuff. And so we've known each other probably since like 2005, 2006, something like that. Um, So yeah, go way back. And now we get to work together. Uh, I, you know, we thought about just like getting chairs next to each other and, and, <laughs> and doing it that way. But, uh, you know, I'm not sure anybody could handle two of our ugly mugs in one screen. So, uh, so, uh, Brian, like I said, Brian's traveling, he's in Spain, then he goes to Brazil and then who knows where the moon probably after that. And, uh, and so he's going to be popping in and out of these calls for the next couple of weeks. Um, so I thought, well, why not have a special guest? Uh, since I know this guy and, uh, you know, I can borrow him from sermon prep this morning for, for a little while. So Harvey, for the guys who don't know you, why don't you introduce yourself and then we'll get rolling. Yeah. Uh, my name's Harvey, uh, planted a church in Reno, Nevada. I think it was, uh, 18 years ago, something like that. Led it for a long time. And, um, then came down here to Los Angeles area three years ago to restart a church. And um, so we've done that now and we've relaunched the church and we're kind of in church planting phase. And so, you know, I was a large church pastor before and now I'm back into church planting. And so that's basically nutshell. Is that what you're looking for? Yeah, it's great. Anything you want to tell us is great. Um, All right. Well, we are, uh, we are jumping into a fun uh, topic today. Um, I don't know how many of you guys have heard of Tim Keller, Timothy Keller, uh, maybe a few of you, um, kind of a little, a couple of guys raised their hands. Good job. Um, uh, yeah, little known guy pastored for a long time in, uh, uh, in New York city, uh, Redeemer, uh, Redeemer Presbyterian church, in New York city has written a bunch of books. Of course, you guys know who Tim Keller is. If you follow Twitter, which I don't recommend, uh, he has, come under some fire recently for uh, some tweets uh, and and kind of more broadly like what those tweets kind of point to in terms of his um, political theology and some stuff, especially around uh, abortion and his approach to, uh, to, to kind of the broader uh, kind of political discourse and, uh, and, and kind of what uh, his approach has been. And so um, I wanted to talk about this. I wrote a blog, I started a, a blog series, probably just two or three blogs on this. Um, I wanted to talk about this today because I think it's something that we are uh, all dealing with, right? There is a um, there is a, a change, it seems, in the discourse right now um, around like in, in tone. Right. Uh, a lot of people, you know, some people are shifting their actual position on things uh, and, and changing their mind on some issues. But I think a lot of this really comes down to tone and approach. And uh, and, and this is the um, you know, I want to I want to kind of start with what was at the uh, at the beginning here. So uh, I'm gonna actually going to share my screen so y'all can see what I'm looking at and thinking about. And so in case you're not aware of what's happening. 
uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull this up. This is a huge dangerous thing to pull up Twitter on a on a uh, call like this. But this was the first tweet. He says churches must not maintain unity at the expense of the gospel. Churches should not destroy unity or fellowship over political differences. Well, and that went crazy, right? Lots of people talking about that idea that there should not destroy unity or fellowship over political differences. And of course, you know, then that became, well, what about abortion, right? So then he responds with this thread and talking about how we should not destroy uh, unity over uh, political differences. He says, the replies show that many American evangelicals have no coherent understanding of how to relate the Bible to politics. And then, uh, and then he's got a thread here. And this is the thread that kind of set the world on fire, or at least our little corner of the world, right? And so he is making the argument that we have to have a, a coherent way of relating the Bible to a democratic culture and how we make laws and how we think about um, how we're going to kind of um, apply or enforce biblical norms, biblical morals onto a democratic society. Okay, so that that's kind of I don't want to go through the whole tweet thread, but this was uh, you should you should go check it out if you haven't already if you haven't seen it. Okay, this is what started everything. And since then, there has been a lot of, you know, think pieces and, and, and people writing about um, his, his perspective. And, and it feels like there are kind of two different, um, maybe two or three different threads of accusation, right? So I want to outline these threads and we'll, we'll, we'll get into this. Um, and, and Harvey and I will kind of go back and forth. And again, as always, Put your questions in the Q and A. We're going to ask answer questions at the end. This is this is dialogue, uh, so please put questions in the in the Q and A, not in the in the uh, chat if you can. Throw them in the Q and A, and then uh, around 10:30, we'll we'll switch to questions. So um, I, I want to put the accusations kind of in three different categories because it's not a monolithic problem that, that people have with Keller. The first is that Keller prioritizes winsomeness over conviction. And that may not be exactly the way that, uh, that folks would, would uh, describe it, but there was an article in First Things written by something Wood, I can't remember the guy's first name. Um, and, uh, and in it, he basically argues, and this was the kind of the beginning of, of or, or the foundation of the blog I wrote for Context Staffing this week, which probably most of you had emailed to you. Um, Basically, he argues that Keller, while a huge influence on him, was kind of made for another time. And he uses this rubric that uh, a guy named Aaron Wren came up with, uh, who, you know, in general, I, I think a lot of what Aaron Wren is saying is, is right on and super helpful. And, and this concept is super helpful, which is that for a long time, and probably the world we all grew up in, um, is what Aaron Wren calls a neutral world in which the, the world was generally neutral to Christianity, right? So there was probably a long time, long before our time, where the world was very positive towards Christianity. And then it shifted into this neutral world where certainly there were hot spots of negativity uh, and pushback. But, you know, like I could, I planted a church in San Francisco even before that, planted a church in Tempe, Arizona, where we had an openly gay mayor, and it's a pretty progressive part, of, I mean, progressive for Arizona, uh, but it was a college town, and then moved to San Francisco, and, and really never had any major pushback. 
certainly people disagreed with this, but there was always this like, okay, yeah, you know, Christians do a lot of good in the world, even if I disagree with them. And that's what Rand would call the neutral world. And then at some point, and certainly it's, it, you know, you can't pin it down to a certain moment in time, the neutral world became what Rand calls a negative world. And this is where the first things article kind of picks up this idea and says Keller was perfect for the neutral world because of his emphasis on uh, on winsomeness and being compelling and connecting and, and kind of being inoffensive uh, when possible. And, and Keller's line was always the gospel is offensive enough. Let's not offend people on things that aren't the gospel. Right. Um, and, and so this is kind of category one, which is. Keller prioritizes winsomeness over conviction, and that was better suited for another time than it is today, okay? So that's one. Two is um, kind of this general sense that Keller hasn't properly spoken out against abortion, okay? And that's one, one accusation that has been kind of longstanding for Keller, that he's been a little soft on abortion in terms of his public stances, in terms of his preaching. Now, he has said a number of times uh, that abortion is a sin, that he's against abortion, but relative to a lot of a lot of the other things he's talked about and idolatry in, in various ways, uh, abortion has gotten a shorter, you know, less less of, of his time and, and attention. That that is definitely clear, and he's talked about why that's the case. That's the second accusation, and that's kind of coincided with this all the stuff around Roe v. Wade and all that right now. And then the third is that in general, Keller's third way approach uh, is either outdated or capitula capitulates to culture too much or kind of is irrational. Some people would look at the whole third way uh, idea and, and philosophy and say it doesn't hold up to scrutiny. It's just kind of a way to not offend anybody um, and, and it doesn't actually work. Um, and it's really just Keller's way of saying, hey, I critique all sides. Um, and so it's not just a Republican or a Democrat thing or a left or a right thing, but it's, you know, the, the gospel is a third way altogether. Okay. So those are kind of the three major accusations against Keller. Um, Harvey, would you add anything to that or clarify any of that before we move on? No, I, I would say that I think that as I've observed Keller's ministry, he doesn't have as much emphasis on politics in the public square. I mean, it's there. And he, you know, as he talks about on this tweet thread, he's, um, <clears throat> you know, he's th that Christians don't have a comprehensive, cohesive understanding of uh, politics rooted in theology. I think Keller is more of a pastor, missionary, you know, he's pastoring his church. And because he's so gifted and has such the platform, people want him to also, you know, speak in regard to the public square and politics. But that's really not often what Keller, Keller is up to, whereas some of the critiques are written by uh, people and, you know, in uh, publications that are definitely, you know, more political in their orientation. Uh, so I think that also creates, uh, the assumptions create some of the problem. So yeah, definitely. Okay, so let's move on uh, to kind of <clears throat> our hot takes uh, on this on this issue and and some of the others as well because you know Keller is someone that I've learned from a ton has shaped my missiology and ecclesiology like crazy and um, and is definitely someone that I've learned from 
and uh, and have a great deal of respect for. I've never met him. I don't know him personally. Um, I you know I have a lot of friends who know him personally and and speak of him in in kind of the highest regard. So. I want to take each of these three accusations separately and and kind of reflect on them a little bit and then would love some dialogue. We already have one question in from Thomas, which is a great question. So uh, keep keep those questions coming as as we talk. Okay, so one uh, that Keller prioritizes winsomeness over conviction. Here's my thought on this. I, I think we have to differentiate between winsomeness, godliness and soft peddling the gospel. Okay, and and those things, I think, are often conflated. Right. I think that no matter the world that we're in, whether it's a neutral world or a negative world, we have a a a calling and expectation from the gospel to be winsome. Right. Um, And that's that's a little bit of my frustration with the first things article and some of the subsequent ones that were added to it, which is um, they they critique Keller for being kind of overly inoffensive. while basically kind of vaguely saying, hey, the world's changed and we need to change with it. The world has become negative. The world has become, you know, has, has tried to fight us and, and is trying to fight us. And it's, it's far more volatile and violent uh, against Christianity. And we need to respond in kind. And I, I, I want to reject that idea uh, uh, out of hand, right? That one, <clears throat> to say that this is the, you know, among the more violent times that Christians have ever faced, it's just kind of insane, right? Like that, that, that is a, uh, an ignorance to church history. Okay. So we read the first couple of centuries of church history and see real violence against Christians, a real negative world, right? Where, you know, Christians are being burned at the stake and fed the lions and, and all of those kinds of things. That's a negative world. Okay, this is a mildly uh, annoyed world compared to that. And so, you know, I I think it's fair to look back at how Christians were handling the, you know, true violence against them. And the stories, uh, you know, the the heroes of that era were always the people that responded with peace and responded with with compassion and kindness and, and those kinds of things in the face of, you know, violence done against them, right? And so I, I do think we need to differentiate between, is there a time, you know, we ask ourselves, like, is there ever a time we're not supposed to be winsome to the people around us? <clears throat> like, that, is, that, is that everything where we go, well, they're being violent, so we should be violent? No, like, that's never a thing. I just preached, uh, I just preached uh, on Sunday, and one of the stories that, I, that we were talking about was um, when uh, Judas and uh, the guards come to get Jesus in the garden, and uh, one of the disciples goes to chop off the guy's ear and Jesus's line is, you know, basically live by the sword, die by the sword, right? But that's not how we respond to violence. It's not through more violence, but through peace, right? And, and that's not a strategy, that's a conviction, right? And so peace doesn't work. It's just what we do in the kingdom of God. So I think we need to separate that idea and, and connect winsomeness to godliness not winsomeness to a strategy. And that, I think, is some of what the First Things article gets a little bit wrong, or at least needs to differentiate. So in the First Things article, he says, if we're going to be winsome in order to get a hearing, and we think that being winsome and compelling will get us a hearing with culture, then that's just no longer the case. Okay, that may be true, that being winsome and compelling will no longer get us a fair hearing in the public square, 
Um, but then we have a question to ask ourselves, which is, okay, were we only being winsome and compelling because it would get us a hearing or were we being winsome and compelling because that's the Christian way to approach these things, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's a really important question because yes, if your winsomeness and, and, and desire to be compelling and inoffensive was a strategy, then you were kind of wrong from the beginning, okay? <laughs> but if, it's a, if it was born out of conviction to be like that, yeah, that's how Christians ought to be, then, then the response to that should never change, right? Like should never change our approach. So um, that, that's, that's kind of my first thought. Of course, if, if, your, uh, you know, if your response to uh, whether it's, uh, you know, the strategy of being winsome compelling is causing you to soft pedal the gospel, then, then of course that's a problem. Um, but that doesn't seem to be the accusation because I think people know that Keller is strong enough on the gospel that it would be foolish to uh, accuse him of that. Yeah. Uh, Harvey, what would you add to all that? Or well, I would say that if you take the Wood article, which is getting the most traction, it seems like you could see very clearly that Wood's perspective is is very political, and his his uh, his whole thing about what you're saying, like it's about strategy, it's about um, me, it's about the ends of a thing, and the ends for him is political influence. Whereas I think for Keller, the ends is godliness, obedience to scripture, discipling a congregation, uh, leading a missional movement. He's he's not out here trying to, uh, you know, get politicians to see things his way necessarily. He's he's doing, I think, the work of the kingdom. So I think where, where the writer of the article, his, his whole thing is we have to fight because the main goal is political power, political influence. But if that's not your goal, and I don't think that is my personal opinion would be that not the goal of the New Testament. It's not the goal of the church. Certainly wasn't the goal of Jesus. He went to the cross. So uh, I think we we just have to talk about what the goals are. And I think what happens is <clears throat> when you mix political uh, ends with the gospel is about losing, <laughs> winning by losing. And so the political and political world is all about winning by whatever means necessary. And so I think they're just coming from very different perspectives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we could talk more about that, but let's keep moving for the sake of time. So the second accusation is that Keller hasn't properly spoken out against abortion. And, you know, Keller's talked about this, that that is a, a touchy subject in, um, in, in New York, you know, in Manhattan, obviously, uh, and is a very divisive one. It's a very personal one. And so he has kind of avoided making it a, a core piece of his, you know, platform for lack of a better word. And, and so I think my hot take on this, on this one is, I think two things. I think one is I wish Keller would be a little stronger on abortion. I, I do think, um, if, if he asked and he never would, uh, but if he asked, I, I, I think it would be wise for him to be uh, more clear on that. I mean, he wrote a book on biblical justice and never talked about abortion in it. Mm. Um, and I think that's a miss, honestly, because um, I do think there are just, are, there are things like abortion uh, that I think for the Christian, and, and this is broad, there are plenty of confessing Christians that would disagree with me on this, but I think to me, it's such a simple situation, you know, and not, not, 
It's complex in the, in the individual, in the micro, it's massively complex. Every person's individual situation is massively complex and, and these are difficult decisions to make. In the macro, at, at an ethical level, it's not complex. Um, it, it's, it, it's either a child you're murdering or it's not, you know, mm. I mean, that it's, it really comes down to that at a, at a simple level. And, and Keller is so adept at separating the pastoral from the moral or the pastoral from the theological. He does it in so many different ways around sexuality and gender and, and other you know, racial issues and all of this. Um, I, I, I just, I trust in his ability to do it with abortion as well. And I, and I don't fully understand why he has been as soft on this as he has. And, and I wish, I do wish he would be more. That would be my, my lone critique. Now, all that being said, one of the most helpful things he has ever said that has shaped the way I talk about these difficult issues is, and, and you guys have probably seen way back, uh, he did a Gordon Conwell series uh, on preaching and I, I have the audio from it. It's, it's probably 25 years old now, but it is absolute gold. I listened to it probably 40 times in, in my life. It's so, so good. And one of the things he talks about that, you know, when they would do membership interviews at Redeemer in the early days, um, he would sit down with people and, you know, folks who were living together or, you know, having sex before they got married, whatever, you know, his, his issue or the way he approached the issue was this, and, and it's been massively impactful and helpful to me is um, you have to settle on Jesus first. Who is Jesus? And his famous line, I'm going to paraphrase is, if Jesus was raised from the dead, then everything he says matters. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, nothing he said matters. So focus on, did Jesus raise from the dead? Was he raised from the dead? Is he God? Because if he's God, then everything he said becomes authoritative. Um, but if he's not God, then nothing he said is authoritative and you shouldn't worry about it. And so I've always, I've always thought that approach was really wise to go, let's focus on Jesus. Because if Jesus is God, then we can start to talk about the implications. If you're going to come to me and go, well, I can't come to Jesus because of what he said about sex or what he said about, you know, obviously he didn't say anything about abortion specifically, uh, but these ideas about valuing life and, and all these things. If, we, if we're stumbling over an implication of the gospel, um, then, then we never get to who Jesus is. You're missing kind of the, you're missing the point. If Jesus is God, then you're wrong on anything you disagree with Jesus mm -hmm. on. Uh, if Jesus wasn't God, then who cares, right? Yeah. So, so those that that would kind of be my thought around the abortion piece. Um, Harvey, what would you say on abortion specifically in Keller? Yeah, just how he approaches that. Yeah, I, I think that. <clears throat> From the public square standpoint, I do think, and even like you talk about Generous Justice, I think is a brilliant book, but it would have been proper to have abortion in there. Now, I get from like one standpoint why he didn't choose to fight that battle there, uh, but I think I would go back to, I think whether Keller likes it or not, he has the kind of cultural influence where people want him to and need him to speak into these things. Um, so there's that. But I think that for him, he's mostly focused on other things, his church, his mission there. Um, and so we we probably don't know the full understanding unless we went to Redeemer Presbyterian Church of how that's playing out inside the church. We just understand more the cultural of what we see on Twitter or whatever. So. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's enough people who <clears throat> are tracking. I mean, you can type in Tim Keller talks about abortion and you'll find the links to the two sermons where he mentioned it. You know what I mean? So I, I do think like the book, especially to me, is the ideal spot um, to, to talk about something like that, because a book is this kind of dispassionate third party yeah. intermediary where a person can come to it, read it. Uh, think about it, not be personally, you know, confronted by what's in there um, and, and wrestle through the arguments and the ideas. Yeah. I actually could see it being in the book a lot more than being in a sermon because yeah. in a sermon, you're there with people confronting them without an ability to also comfort and, and, and talk through the excruciating detail of, of the individual yeah. experiences with it. Absolutely. Um, and so, I, you know, in, in however many 20, 30, 40 years of ministry or 40, 50 years of ministry he's had, you know, he, he's, he's not preached on it very often. Uh, and I feel like not putting it in the book yeah. is like the biggest miss. Um, I agree. And I would say, I wish he did. I wish he did because of the way in which he approaches things. Honestly, the winsome approach I, I, I don't even think it's like a question. I think you've got to decide, do you want to obey the scripture or not? <laughs> like, okay, the scripture says we have to be kind and winsome and loving in the way that we deal with outsiders. So, and I think that he actually would have a more intellectual winsome approach to the conversation around abortion than the approaches that are out there that are mostly full of piss and vinegar. Can I say that on here? Uh, <laughs> uh, not vinegar. Nope. <laughs> so, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. His, it would be helpful to hear him talk about it because that would inform how I would talk about it uh, <laughs> in a lot of ways. So, okay. The last piece on Keller's third way approach. Um, and, and then Harvey, anything else you want to add to kind of this broader conversation? But um, I do think that, you know, I, I think in, if I could summarize his approach, it would be to say, there is no one, you know, if, if we're going to use political or social language, there's no one political party that fully nails Christianity. There's no one social philosophy that fully nails Christianity that, um, you know, he, he said somewhere recently, um, you know, the, the left, uh, you know, when it comes to poverty, uh, the, the right tends to emphasize individual responsibility. The left tends to emphasize structural, societal, um, you know, uh, injustice or inequity. And, and I think he's right to say that uh, the Bible emphasizes both and, uh, and, and talks about how, yes, it is possible to, I mean, you know, you, you look at the Old Testament, and, you know, the, the concept of Jubilee, for instance, was a, a baked in structural systemic way to consistently level the playing field and get people out of poverty and out of debt. Um, and, uh, you know, you read the wisdom literature and it, it's all about the sluggard and the, and the foolish person and the wise person. And it, and it makes it clear that individual people are making bad decisions that are getting them into these into these situations. And so the Bible's ability to go, yes, often it is individual decisions leading to a really bad situation. Um, and, and yet one of the so one of the solutions is to call people to account and conviction around those things. The other another solution at the same time is to say, hey, also 
we have a robust idea of human evil, depravity, and weakness. And therefore, um, we know that not only are individual people going to make bad a series of bad decisions to get themselves into bad situations, but also other people are going to make a series of evil decisions to intentionally oppress some of those individuals or take advantage of those individuals. And, and as Christians, I think we would absolutely affirm Yes, evil people are doing evil things all the time, and foolish people are doing foolish things all the time, and the combination of those two can really put people in, in bad spots that are, that are you know, have, have generational implications. Mm -hmm. um, and so we would affirm the individual pieces of those really, I think people on the right or conservative side would, would, confer, would affirm, yes, there are evil people doing evil things, and there are stupid people doing stupid things, but they're, they're, they're like, they struggle to go, oh, and that can produce a situation that becomes systemic. Mm. And, and the, the Bible is able to go, yeah, that happens a lot, that individual thing over and over and over. And when individuals make those decisions over and over and over, that creates a system that needs to be corrected, you know? Yeah. So whether it is, you know, crops, you know, be, you know, the, the, some of the regulation around how to, how to manage crops has to be tied to the fact that yeah people are greedy and they will burn out their crops in ways that are foolish and then be stuck and so there was a systematic approach or systemic approach to solving yeah. some of those problems same way with poverty and things like jubilee and, and all of these that you know every 50 years or whatever all debts are canceled or every seven years this this and that happens the you know that that is a a two-handed approach um so I would say, yes, that's good and true. And I think sometimes the third way approach can take the edge off his arguments in ways that um, I think are unhelpful, uh, not uh, unhelpful to his arguments. I think that his arguments are weakened at times by like, well, you know, they're right and they're right. Um, I almost want to hear him someday go, they're wrong and they're wrong. You know, like, you know, talk about the like, yeah, the left is really wrong on this and the right is really wrong on this. One last thing I'll say on this issue before uh, kicking it to you, Harvey, is um, there's an accusation that Keller punches right harder than he punches left. And I think that is probably true and right. Mm -hmm. um, when you look at Jesus' ministry, he punched right more than he punched left. Yeah. Right. Like his approach to religious people was was largely confrontational and convictional yeah. because there was a shared uh, there was a shared faith. There was a sh there were shared assumptions that he was calling them back to what they there was hypocrisy. Right. So he's calling them back to this shared understanding and the shared belief saying like, no, we agree on these things, but you're not living up to it. And, and so that was the tone and tenor yeah. of, of Jesus's approach with kind of the right, so to speak. And then to those on the left, the, the kind of irreligious, he did have a softer tone. Now there are plenty of moments, right? Like with the woman at the well, where he goes, you know, you were married this guy and this guy and the guy you're with now you're not married to. And there's a, there's an edge to that, you know, for sure. Um, but, I, but I don't think it, it's unfair to say um, he, Jesus punched harder or, or more convictionally to the right and was more compassionate to the left. And I think it's, 
in large part because there's common ground to the right and there's not common ground to the left. And so the, you know, you're not calling people back to a shared agreed upon set of convictions. You are trying to establish some of those, some of, some of that overlap and then to be able to, to kind of walk down some of those roads together, but you have to establish the, the, the common ground first. Mm-hmm. And, and that takes a little bit more work, a little more nuance, a little more compassion or, or uh, you know, uh, gloved hands, so to speak. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily think that Keller's wrong to punch harder, right? Um, I know I do in my preaching. I, I tend to be more, you know, convictional or confrontational to, you know, uh, to Christians and more, um, you know, maybe, maybe more, uh, I don't know, winsome would be my, my hope, but I think more like, I want to make, make good arguments and, and kind of try to connect the dots for the people on the left, because I think for the people on the right, the dots are already connected. There's just a failure to execute on it. So that was a bit of a fire hose. Bring us home. Yeah, I agree. I agree with what you said there. And I think, okay, so there's, um, man, um, one thing that I want to leave you with. <laughs> uh, okay, let, let's just, uh, I think it's really the difference between how, my main concern here is I think about my church and uh, church planters and, uh, you know, the network that I'm part of is <clears throat> that, uh, one, we see being kind and being winsome is actually biblical faithfulness. So it's not, there is a way that you can do that, that is not biblically faithful. And, you know, uh, depending on your personality, probably in one way or another, but at the end of the day, it is biblically faithful. The other thing that I would say is this, I think that sometimes as American Christians, because of our history and because the American church had so much uh, influence in culture that we kind of are pouting that we don't have that influence in culture anymore. The church has become anemic and and less powerful. Okay, now we don't have that influence. Now we're pouting. We're mad that we lost that influence. Whereas the um, other perspectives have gained more influence. And it seems to me like we've forgotten that we're in Babylon. <laughs> like the United States is Babylon. It's a it's an empire. It's a pretty good one. As far as world standards go and history goes, it's pretty good on a lot of things, bad on a lot of things. But it is, at the end of the day, an empire. Um, and I'm thankful to be part of it. I'm thankful that I live here. I've traveled all over the world. I'm, I don't think I would want to live anywhere else. But at the same time, we shouldn't get, don't think that of the United States is in any way Zion. <laughs> you know, there's, we're not trying to win the United States over to a, a, a position. We're trying to advance the kingdom of God through the local churches. And so I think just framing this conversation that way uh, and, will help us as pastors to think about, okay, where am I doing ministry? Am I doing ministry in Babylon or Zion? If I'm doing ministry in Babylon, okay, where in scripture can we learn from that? You can look at Jeremiah, the way in which they approached ministry there. You can look at the early church, how they approached ministry in Rome. And it wasn't from a position of entitlement. It was because there was no entitlements. Whereas American Christians almost have some sort of historical entitlement around these things. And if we could just look at it and go, okay, we're preaching to a lost word. We're trying to bring them into Christ. Rather, And at the end of the day, if we don't win some of the political things, that's a bummer. But that's really not what Jesus sent us to do here anyway. That's not the church's mission. So. Yeah.
Good. Well, I think we pretty much handled that. So, um, you know, I think uh, problem solved. Um, <laughs> guys, just go and, go and do what we said. Uh, all right. We do have a couple questions here, uh, both from Thomas. Appreciate that, Thomas. Anybody else want to throw a question in or just uh, even just a thought to consider? Uh, love to hear it. Uh, the first question is, is the neutral negative categorization limited to the USA, excluding Western Europe, North Africa, China, et cetera? What can we learn from how the rest of the world treats Christians? Uh, that's, that's a good question, Thomas. And I think I've read and listened to enough of Aaron Wren uh, to know he's talking about the West, you know, uh, generally. So Western Europe and the United States, um, uh, by and large, are the West. Uh, it's the, you know, kind of classical world and those uh, influenced by Rome and Greek, Greece and, and, and all of that. So, um, yeah, obviously, like, Harvey was kind of just saying there, like, yeah, we, we live in Babylon, but it's probably the best Babylon there's been, you know, I, I, I'm maybe a little more quick to say like, no, this, this is literally the best country. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to affirm that, like uh, the, the level of upward mobility and equality and free market. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't get me start chant USA, but, uh, but, but I think we're in a pretty good spot here relative to the rest of the world. And, and that's a, that's an important thing for us to keep in mind. People uh, uh, have far more negative experiences uh, in China and North Korea and even some, you know, kind of more uh, modernized post-industrial like Japan or, you know, Brazil or some of these places are still much harder places to be Christian uh, than the United States. So uh, I think the, the, uh, the violence you know, we're experiencing here is rhetorical, but by, by and large, and, you know, maybe someday that becomes real violence. Um, but it's not, we're not there yet. And so I do think we're a little sensitive to, uh, you know, to not being in charge and not, not having everybody like us. Uh, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's fairly weak compared to what the rest of the world experiences. Um, yeah, I think I would add, add on to that just that if if there's the way in which we're thinking about this, it might actually help to go and talk to a pastor in Europe or talk to a pastor in one of these places where Christians don't have uh, much or any uh, cultural influence to go. How would you think about this? How would you frame it? Because I do think that the the history of the United States and, you know, just what the church has experienced here affects the way that we think about this. Whereas some of these places, they haven't had that in generations or maybe they never had it like you mentioned Japan, so. Yeah. Okay, second question from Thomas. Uh, he says, on a personal level, how often do you preach about a biblical worldview and politics from the pulpit? Other than one Sunday in January, how often do you preach about or against abortion? Uh, dissecting Keller's third way approach may or may not uh, uh, impact my ministry, should it? Uh, I, I'll go first on that. I preach about this stuff all the time, uh, and worldview in particular. I uh, almost every sermon that I that I preach um, has something about, hey, Christians think about this differently. Here's how. Here's why. Right. Mm -hmm. So just, I mean, just this last Sunday, three days ago, um, you know, the already talked about violence, but also talked about truth telling. Right. So uh, one of the other stories that was in this 
45 verse passage that Hardy gave me to preach. Uh, I'm going to milk this for as long as I can. Um, we looked, I looked at five different little stories and one of them was, you know, Jesus being uh, taken in the garden and his, his take on violence. The next was Jesus before Caiaphas and the high, the high priest and the, and the Sanhedrin and all this, and then accusing him and accusing him, falsely accusing him and talked about how Jesus not, didn't just admit to the accusation, but but fully expanded, told not just the truth, but the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And it's basically what signed his death warrant, right? And so I taught, I framed that as Christians value the truth, not as a strategy, but as a conviction, as a reflection of the kingdom of God, we tell the whole truth. And so I try to do that almost every single week uh, from a worldview perspective. Now, I had one uh, pastor guide context kind of person email me this week and say, um, how do you talk about, you know, and his phrase was, you know, his, his term was wokeness. How, how do you talk, kind of speak about biblical justice uh, without being like, you know, anti-woke, but also being clear about the parts of that whole thing that aren't biblical and, and all that. And, and the advice I gave him, which is what I would say to you, Thomas, is, I, I, I think we should talk about this stuff all the time, yeah. but we should do so positively in, in this sense. So the old illustration that we've all used and heard a million times of how does a, you know, how, how does a banker know a counterfeit bill by constantly handling the true version. Mm -hmm. And so the counterfeit feels different immediately, not because they're constantly feeling the counterfeit because they're constantly feeling the true thing. Yeah. And so what my approach is, is talk positively as much as you can. The main thrust of the idea should be the positive. This is our conviction. This is our biblical worldview. This is what Christians believe. This is the kingdom of God. And then uh, don't avoid the negative, but don't make it the main thrust. So mm -hmm. to say, this is what is true. So here's a counterfeit. Here's what's true. So here's a counterfeit. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that, so that's my approach to that. I, I want to talk about it all the time. Now, how often do I talk about abortion? Not as much specifically. Um, you know, unfortunately the Bible doesn't specifically talk about abortion really yeah. at all, you know, but like we can connect the dots easily and, and do when, when relevant. Um, but I'm talking about biblical worldview all the time. One thing, because the Bible doesn't address it that much, <clears throat> one thing that I'll do is when I'm trying to like get the concept of sin out there, usually what we think of when we think of sin, we go, sin is what I, you know, the people over there do. <laughs> so what I try to do is I try to go, okay, here are some sins of the right. And here are some sins of the left. I don't say that. I just talk about them and contrast them and try to like uh, always give that. So nobody has an out. Because what happens is, is like, if you only preach one side of it, wherever people are coming from, they think, well, that applies to them and I have an out. So I talk about abortion in that way. And then, of course, you do have a few texts in the Bible you can, like Psalm 139 or something like that. There are definitely texts that you could uh, come straight at it. But it is difficult because you're not, it's not, it won't come from exegeting. It'll come from cultural analysis and then analysis and tying it back. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think with abortion in particular, I, there, I, I think there are very, 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 very few people who get abortions because they want to have an abortion, right? right? Like that's not the motivation, right? Yeah. There are lots of sins that we 
uh, commit that we do because we want to do them, right? Like, mm-hmm. we, you know, you, you sleep around because you want to sleep around. You know, I mean, like guys do at least, I don't know. Uh, the, you know, but with an abortion there, there is often usually um, layers of, of motivation layers of, and, yeah. and I'd rather get after those, things, yeah. right? So like an idolatry of career or an idolatry of independence or uh, a, a, you know, a, a desire to avoid responsibility or something like that. That's the core thing yeah. that if I can get after that, that <laughs> takes care of, uh, of the implication as well. So that doesn't mean I'm only going to talk about this and not the implication. Um, it's both, but, but I always want to get after what that core desire yeah. is, that motivation. So, all right. One interesting uh, thing in this whole right. conversation, I'll just say really quickly is that uh, we tend to think of like, you know, the uh, most of the Christians are on the right, but uh, I, I don't think that. Uh, living in Nevada and California, I think that most uh, Anglo Christians tend to be on the right. But if you talk to a lot of Christians that uh, they're faithful Christians who are pro-life, by the way, anti-abortion, pro-life, yet they always vote with the left. And it's usually, you know, African-Americans and Latinos and Asian people that, that are Christians and vote that way. So I think that a lot of times we have some assumptions that Christians are always going to be on the right. And that's just simply uh, not true, especially in a place like this where, um, you know, there's less, uh, I, I don't know what the percentages are, but uh, the percentages are lower on white people. Let's just put it that way. So sure. I, I think that plays in somehow because we can easily go, a Christian would never vote that way. And lots of them do. So uh, okay, last question from Brandon. Uh, awesome perspective, guys. Seriously, love that. Let's just land there. Uh, all right, maybe I'm being naive and overly simplistic, but what I'd like to see is less devouring ourselves and more of us trying to be like Jesus. Amen, Brandon. I totally agree. I think that there is value to us, um, you know, holding each other accountable and disagreeing in the public square. And and I will say this about the first things article. It was not disrespectful. You know, uh, it, it was, in fact, the first third of the article was about how much I wish I could remember the guy's name, Mr. Wood, uh, <laughs> you know, loved and looked up to Keller. Uh, and it was never demeaning or anything like that. So I, I want to say that because there are some things out there and some people that are more dismissive and and um, and disrespectful, but that wasn't one of them. And so I do think there is a place for us to disagree. And, and especially with someone with the influence of Keller, I think there there is space for us to go, hey, I, I wish you would do dif- this differently, or I disagree with him on this issue. And we've got to be able to do that. I think that's great. But you're right. Like when we do it in a way that is meant to cancel or dismiss or devour um, and and use that takedown as a way to like step on their head and, and gain your own influence. Yeah, I, that's a very unchristian way to go about disagreement. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I agree with you, Brandon. I'd love to see us. Um, you agree with me, uh, agreeing with you, Brandon? Great, <laughs> I love it. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I wish we could we do that more effectively. So that's good. Uh, Harvey, thanks for being with us today, man. Uh, it's great to have you. And yeah, um, you know, these it. guys get tired of just the, the Anderson fire hose that sometimes <laughs> this can be when it's just me. 
Um, but uh, it's good to good to be with you. Good to have you. Uh, thank you guys for your questions. Thanks for being here. Uh, tell your friends this, these weekly calls are free now uh, and open to everybody. Uh, and and they're always uh, it's always better when there's more people and more questions and more dialogue. Um, so there's motivation for you to uh, invite your friends. Uh, it's less of me talking. So I mean that's a win, right? So all right, guys, we will see you all next week. Thanks, guys.